Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your host, Alex. Our brave leader, Sean, is not here this week, so I am going to be filling in, doing a little solo show for you guys. Hopefully, we can get some good topics rolling because there are certainly a lot of things to talk about in the city of Chicago. But first, I would like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they are the AHL minor league affiliate of your Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. The AHL season has wrapped up. Unfortunately, we won't get any playoffs, but the AHL will be back next year. So be sure to get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, tickets for next year, and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. All right, folks. A lot's happened over the past week or so, and we're recording this on Monday night. This is Monday the 24th, so... I'm sure by the time you hear this episode, there's going to be even more storylines. But we're just going to talk about what we have up to this point. There's good, there's bad, there's confusing, there's weird. So let's just dive right into it. I think that there's a lot of people who want to talk about the White Sox right now. Which makes sense. There's a lot going on. So, you just look on the field, the White Sox were able to beat up on the Twins in two straight series, they swept the first series, won the next one, two out of three, then you lost a really rough one in New York, you got swept, two walk-off losses, one on an RBI single, the other on a walk-off walk, Aaron Judge, bases loaded, and then in the middle game, Yankees just shut you down, and beat you pretty good. But we have to talk about the biggest story. And it's unfortunate that the biggest story for the White Sox isn't that they're beating up on their division and they're sitting in first place among top five teams in the power rankings. We have to talk about the unwritten rules of baseball. Because every time we try to grow the game... The unwritten rules come back. Now, I understand that people have different perspectives and people have different views on what they find respectful or not. I get not everyone is going to have the same opinion. And I understand that. And I'm not here to try to dunk on people's opinions. But it gets to the point where it it gets flat ridiculous. And this is where our good friend Tony La Russa comes in. Everyone knows the story by now. The White Sox and the Twins are playing. The White Sox are beating the crap out of the Twins. The Twins put a position player up there to pitch. So you're pretty much have given up by now. You know you're not going to win the game. You're going to put in a position player. 
3-0 pitch, Yerman Mercedes swings, belts it out of the park. I don't think many people were thinking anything of it, other than, oh look, there's a position player and there are the White Sox scoring more runs. Then, we get the postgame. Tony La Russa ain't happy with his player. The Twins aren't happy, but, you know, you could just say, hey, they're salty for getting blown out again by the White Sox, a team that has overtaken them um, as the powerhouse in the AL Central. Of course, you're going to be a little sour about that, but here's Tony La Russa, the manager of the White Sox, coming in and saying, quote, big mistake, there will be a consequence that has to endure within our family, but it won't happen again. Regarding Yerman Mercedes swinging on a 3-0 pitch and hitting a home run. Apparently, he missed a take sign. And, look, you miss a sign in a close game, sure, go talk to him. That's something you do in private, in the clubhouse, and you don't really throw him under the bus for that in front of the press. This was a blowout game against a position player. And he is getting disciplined for swinging at a 3-0 pitch. Because apparently, a 3-0 pitch in a blowout game, swinging at that is disrespectful. Why? This isn't the first time we've heard an example of 3-0 pitch unwritten rule. Remember last year when Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a grand slam? I think it was a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch in a blowout. So let's say he takes a strike and then he hits a home run. What's the difference? It looks the same in the box score. What's the difference? Why Why is 3-0, uh, oh, you can't swing 3-0. Oh yeah, you know, normally you have the green light, but you know, if you're up by so many runs and you're facing a position player who probably doesn't give a crap about his ERA, hey, you can't do that. Well, why the hell not? I, I, I don't get what... It, it shouldn't be a topic of conversation. That's the whole thing that gets me about this whole thing. This shouldn't be a topic of conversation. A pitch is thrown to you, you should have every right to swing at it, no matter what count, no matter what score. I mean, what, there, there are pitches now that are illegal to swing at? I've always said running up the score, complaining about that, that's just sore loser talk. I get it, nobody likes getting blown out. I get it, it's frustrating when you're getting your ass kicked. But running up the score should not be a thing. You play to win, you play to try hard, and listen, in oftentimes in sports... Whether it's baseball, or football, or basketball. Not so much in hockey, but you have your starters, and you have your bench guys. Bench guys don't get nearly enough playing time as starters. And, you know, especially in baseball and football, if the game is close, you're going to have your starters out there in pivotal moments. And, you know, in basketball... Your bench is going to come and eventually play some minutes, but if it's a, a late game and the it's late in the game and the score is close, you're going to have your starters in there. But when it's a blowout, 
whether you're on the right or wrong side of it, you know, you get your bench guys some playing time. They want to play too, right? They want to be part of it. They, they, you know, they, they want to try their hardest and play. So why, you know, why why shouldn't you still play hard regardless of the score? I get maybe wanting to take it easy on your side because you don't want to risk injury, but, and I'm not saying Yerman Mercedes is a bench player. He's obviously been a very big part of this team so far, but I'm just saying the whole logic is running up the score, it, you, you just, you play the game. You play the game. And if the other team doesn't like it, well, then don't lose 15 to 4. I mean, you put yourself in that situation by losing that bad. So, you know, why, why is that a big deal? I don't get it. And to keep going, you know, LaRussa said, I heard he, Yerman Mercedes, said something like, I play the game, no he does it, he plays the game of Major League Baseball. You're really going to do that in public and just do that to your player. In response to that, you have Mercedes, Tim Anderson, and other players basically subtweeting LaRussa or the situation, I should say, you know, saying, I'm going to play the game. And the players are supporting him. The players are publicly supporting the player that their manager has basically just crapped all over. Your captain of your ship is doing this. And the players are having none of it. As they, as they shouldn't. Tim Anderson on his Instagram uh, commented on the post by Yerman Mercedes, the game wasn't over, keep doing you, Big Daddy. Yeah, keep doing you, Big Daddy. It's a great story with Yerman Mercedes. Keep playing the way you're playing. You got the swagger going, you're feeling it, keep playing. And then, you know, Yerman Mercedes says, I'm going to play like that, I'm Yerman, I can't be another person, because if I change it, everything's going to change. Yeah, if if it's working, why would you say, oh, you, you can't do that for the sake of, quote-unquote, the unwritten rules of the game? This should have never been a big deal. And I can guarantee you, 90% of people would have forgotten about that home run on what count it was a few minutes later. Honestly, people would remember the home run, sure. But do you really think people were going to be lamenting about how it was a 3-0 fastball that was crushed? And when I mean fastball, I mean more of just kind of a lob in there, considering it was a position player in there. But you get what I mean. You know, is is ESPN going to have a big whole story on swinging 3-0? They are now because Tony La Russa made a big deal about it. But if he didn't make a big deal about it and didn't say anything about it and didn't make it public, no one would be talking about that. Nobody would. It's silly. And that's not all. That's not all. 
The Twins threw at their player the next day. The Twins threw a fastball at the White Sox the next day. And LaRusso was okay with it. LaRusso thought it was handled right. That respect for the game should involve beanball. What the hell does that mean? What the hell? It's, I don't even, I can't even put into words. How does that make sense? How does it make sense to go up there and say, you know, oh, we don't want to stand up our guys, but, um, you know, we totally respect the fact that they retaliated by throwing a pitch intentionally at one of our players. You are the manager of your team. You are supposed to be defending your players. Instead, you are standing up for unwritten rules that don't even make much sense logically instead of defending your players. That this, this dinosaur mentality still dominates. But who, who could have seen this coming? Hashtag sarcasm. When you hired Tony LaRusa, a guy who had been involved in baseball for a very long time, has not managed in a decade, is 76 years old, and is known for that kind of old-fashioned mentality. Everyone knew that something like this was going to happen. And it is so good that the White Sox have so much talent that they can keep winning in spite of it. That Tony La Russa is not going to hinder the success of this team. You know, I think uh, the players have basically said, yeah, you know, we don't always agree with him, but he is our manager and we're not going to let tensions get in the way. But I can't imagine everything is hunky-dory in the clubhouse all the time when this is happening. You know, maybe they're not getting into fights or, you know, they're not ignoring each other, but, you know, how can you be in a clubhouse over a full major league season when your players are out on social media defending the way they play from their own manager? They're not subtweeting other teams they're facing. They're not subtweeting other managers that they've faced. I mean, this is all related to their own manager. But the team seems pretty united under it. When Lance Lynn is on the player's side, a longtime Tony LaRussa guy. You know, remember, Lance Lynn and Tony LaRussa were together in St. Louis. In Lance Lynn's first years. And you know when Lance Lynn is saying some of this stuff. It's like well what does that tell you Tony? But is Tony going to adjust his thinking? Is Tony going to suddenly be like you know what you're right. Unwritten rules are stupid. Uh, I don't think so. Tony LaRussa is going to be who Tony LaRussa is. People are not going to tell within the organization. People are not going to tell Tony LaRussa what to do. The players might play the way they want to, but other people within the organization, Tony LaRusso is basically the, the, the mastermind, so to speak, put in place by Jerry Reinsdorf. You know, the, the fact that you have Rick Hahn, the vice president, Kenny Williams. You know, this is basically Tony LaRusso's ball club right now. 
At least that's how it sure seems to be. And the fact that we're still talking about this a week later, that more things are coming out a week later about, you know, this whole controversy. Because, you know, of course, there are going to be people who are going to stand by Tony LaRussa. And if this was a no-name manager who was creating, you know, maybe some hard feelings in the clubhouse or making some controversial statements, then organizations like the White Sox would probably let him go. But this is Tony La Russa, a man in the Hall of Fame, won multiple World Series, been in the game for decades, decades. So, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's going to stick by his guy. He's going to have a power. Tony La Russa's not going anywhere. Unless Tony La Russa wants to just quit because he can't do it at an older age, Tony La Russa ain't going anywhere. And, you know, there will be people saying, oh, you can't question Tony La Russa. He's a Hall of Fame baseball person, as he called himself. But he's a guy way, way, way past his prime. And he's trying to play a modern game to emulate an era that is long gone. It's, it never made sense. It never will make sense. Even if the White Sox win the World Series this year, which they very well could, they could win a World Series with Tony La Russa. But if they win a World Series with Tony La Russa, it's not going to be because Tony La Russa was your manager. It's going to be because the White Sox are unbelievably stacked. They are going to win in spite of Tony La Russa. I think everybody sees that. And, you know, you've seen instances where his managing has been questionable, where he doesn't know the extra inning rules, where he's doing funky things with his bullpen, where he was giving Jake Lamb more time than Andrew Vaughn, a top prospect who looks like an absolute star. You know, that that's kind of different. I mean, it's the same and different. It's It's different in the fact that That's just on-the-field stuff. That any manager can make those decisions, and while they'll get criticized, you know, it it won't seem detrimental to the chemistry of the team where you have this unwritten rule stuff, and, you know, that right there is just causing rifts among your teams and disagreements and stuff that you don't want. I mean, you, you look... And a lot of the articles, the news articles that come out on Tony La Russa, uh, The Athletic, baseball's unwritten rules are holding the game back. Um, y- you know, y- you get stuff like that because more and more people kind of want to progress the game here away from the old, you know, unwritten rule era baseball, if you want to call it that. And Tony La Russa ain't backing down. He is not going to back down. He has it, he won't. He's, you know, he's come out saying, I know how I'll be judged. He's not afraid to face the critics. He's going to go out there and 
you know, defend on what he's doing, why he's doing it. And, you know, with all the press and everyone around him asking questions and everything that's so public, I mean, sports are more public than ever with social media. You know, despite all that, he ain't going to budge. He doesn't want to budge. He wants to manage his way, and it's only his way. This week, the White Sox are playing the Cardinals. So obviously, there is a lot more Tony La Russa to be talked about. The White Sox are looking to avenge a three-game sweep at the hands of the Yankees. The Cardinals are going to try to stay in first place. Those are the two big important things. But Tony La Russa is obviously going to be a very big part of this series just because of the connection with the Cardinals and that whole narrative. Which, to an extent, you get, you know, obviously Hall of Fame manager, winningest manager in Cardinal history, playing his former team. Of course there's going to be narratives no matter what. But with everything that's happened with Tony La Russa, with the whole unwritten rules thing, there's going to be a little more to it. And I think for White Sox fans, the vibe I I get from them is we're going to root for the team, root for the players, regardless of Tony La Russa. That they're not going to let the manager dictate how much emotional investment they put into the team. And that makes sense. Look, I remember when Tony La Russa was hired, I knew a lot of people were not going to be happy about that. But I thought there was going to be a bit more of a divide than there was. Of course there were going to be people that were on the side of Tony La Russa. I mean, again, his resume. But... I, I looked at the reactions, I'm like, wow, this is overly incredibly negative. I thought it'd be more close to a split, but it wasn't. And this just hurts things more. And I'm not saying that if you're a White Sox fan, you have to root against Tony LaRussa. I think if you're at a crossroads, I'd say just put Tony LaRussa in the back of your mind. I know it's hard to do because he's the manager, but This is baseball. This isn't football. This isn't hockey. This isn't basketball. In those sports, the coach-slash-manager is directly involved in the dynamic on how they play. In baseball, yeah, the manager makes the lineups. Though you could argue the front office is more involved in that these days with advanced metrics. They make the bullpen moves. The starting rotation... You know, they try to get guys in the right position, yada, yada. But really, the you know, guys are out there playing the game. Whereas, say, you have an NFL coach where he has a certain scheme that does or doesn't work. That's going to affect the play. But when you have such a talented team like the White Sox, and they're winning in spite of Tony La Russa, then you could kind of put that in the back of your mind. You know, j- you know just root for the players not worry too much about La Russa, even though it could be hard because 
it seems like Larusa continues to drag this thing on, or the press continues to drag it on, and Tony Larusa says more things, and that gets, you know, gets pushed further and further, and things happen, and you know, Tony Larusa was clearly unhappy about the continued questions about. Mercedes and the unwritten rules, but you know, you got to answer to them, and he's not backing down. So, that's pretty much my whole thoughts on the whole Tony LaRusa thing. Let's move to the north side. The Cubs are playing some decent ball here. I don't know how long it's going to last, I don't want to get overly excited. But a really nice series win against St. Louis at Bush Stadium. And before that, you had a four-game set against the Nationals against old friends John Lester, Kyle Schwarber, Davey Martinez, Starlin Castro, Jim Hickey. As Jim Deshaies said on Marquee Network, it was like alumni night. It was a fun night to see John Lester back at the ballpark pitching again even though he was on the other team. And the warm welcomes that those guys got was pretty great. But more importantly, you took three of four. I know the Nationals aren't great this year, but you can't take the Nationals for granted. You know, they still have some great players. You have Max Scherzer. You have Juan Soto. You have Trey Turner. Kyle Schwarber can still hit the ball a long way. I mean, he had two home runs in the series. And you took three or four. And the one loss was a close loss. You were really one base hit away off Scherzer from possibly sweeping that series. But, you know, taking three or four, that's pretty dang good. Sweeping a four-game series is tough. But the Cubs have dealt with a lot of injuries. And to their credit, they've kind of been the next man up. And they've kind of just shuffled things around and made it work. It sucks that almost every day someone else is getting hurt. Whether it's Jason Hayward, Justin Steele, we had Happ and Nico Horner get hurt a few weeks ago. Um, Hopefully Wilson Gutierrez is okay. He took a 99 mile an hour Craig Kimbrell fastball. Crossed him up a bit and hit him right around the wrist. Either on the wrist or above the wrist. um, In the finale against the Cardinals. So you hope he's okay there, but you know, with with so much so much going for them the past few weeks, you sit here and wonder, what is this team? A few weeks ago, I thought this team was just absolute garbage. They weren't going anywhere. And I'm still not ready to say I'm fully back on board thinking they're a legit contender. But I have to give credit where credit is due that they've played some pretty dang good baseball. Knock on wood, because I know I'm totally going to jinx this. But knock on wood, the bullpen's been very good. Very, very, very good. Craig Kimbrell continues to shut things down as the closer. Our normal man buddy, Andrew Chafin, the man of the people, he's been really good. And then you get these kids coming up. Justin Steele, who unfortunately got hurt on the bases, has looked so good so far. Keegan Thompson has looked good. And here's this great guy, 30 years old, Nance. Comes up, no one's ever heard of him. 
Small sample size, very small sample size, but he's pitched pretty well. You gotta like that. I still don't love the starting rotation. But let's hope that Kyle Hendricks is getting things together because that's really important. Jake Arrieta's been pretty much what you've asked for at this point. He ain't dominating, but it's, you know, he's not pitching terribly. Ebert Alzali, look away from some of the ERA numbers. You're seeing some really good things there, and he pitched great in St. Louis this past weekend. So if those guys continue to trend upward, that's kind of nice, kind of comforting. I can't say I enjoy Zach Davies or Trevor Williams. Zach Davies has been better. Um, He's not dominating by any means, but... He's at least getting some outs, which is nice. Some of it luck, some of it good defense, some of it he's just locating better. Um, I still don't necessarily feel comfortable when he starts, but at least lately he has been better. Um, Trevor Williams, not great. Um... At least in the last start against the Nationals, he was able to put together good enough outing. They won the game. I mean, I'm not saying it was a bad outing by any means. It wasn't great, but it was good enough to keep the team in the game. They were able to take the lead and win it. So, you know, you take that. But what really sucks is that you have rotation that on a good day, on a very good day, goes into the sixth inning. We're seeing an awful lot of four or five inning starts. And the bullpen has been up to the task so far, but you do that all season, they are going to get burned out. You would ideally like to see guys like Kyle Hendricks go seven, Jake Arrieta go six, Zach Davies go five or six, Trevor Williams go five or six, Edward Azale go six. You'd really like to see that more often. You're just going to have to. We've seen in years past where the bullpen's been pretty good through spots in the season, but then when they get overused, they start to falter a little bit. And, you know, in in some of those seasons, you could say, well, it was the starting pitching's fault, or yeah, well, maybe Joe Madden was kind of the culprit of that at times, but, you know, right now, David Ross is, you know, while his bullpen management, in my opinion, has been sketchy at times, you know, there are times where he doesn't have much of a choice, where he's just got to go out and get him after five. Um, the rotation was not built great, and I'm still livid about the U Darvish deal, to be completely honest with you, because if you had Darvish, and he's dominating with San Diego, as you would expect, you have U Darvish, and he's going seven innings on average. That's your ace right there. That's helping your bullpen right there. Then Kyle Hendricks, he starts to figure things out. He was your opening day starter last year. He's one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. There's your two. Your three is a reliable Jake Garrietta. And your four is an upcomer who's looking better and better, Edward Alzali. All of a sudden, you know, that that looks much better. Unfortunately, they made the trade and they don't have Darvish, so they have to use what they have to work with. I just don't know how sustainable it's going to be. Again, give him credit. Won a good series in St. Louis. I was actually in St. Louis this past weekend. 
Shout out to my buddy John. We celebrated his marriage with his lovely wife, Sarah. So congrats again to you guys. So we drove by Bush Stadium. We didn't go in. We, we didn't go to the games, but we drove by it several times on the highway. And the first night I was there was Friday night. And that's when they won 12-3. to And John and I are both big Cub fans. And, you know, we were celebrating that as well. You know, watching them win a big game against the Cardinals where it was close throughout and then they just went into ass-whooping mode uh, in the eighth inning and won that game handily. Then, you know, in the finale, Adam Wainwright was just sawing off the Cubs mercilessly. They weren't doing anything. They had two hits in nine innings. Both of them belonged to Chris Bryant. And then, in the top of the 10th, You have Baez hit the game winner, a bomb to center field, and then Craig Kimbrell gets the last three outs, and you look at a two out of three series win, and then an off day to travel to Pittsburgh. This Cubs team has overall been very different since that Dodgers sweep. I'm not saying dominant. I'm not saying World Series bound. I'm not even saying playoff bound. But they're getting more timely hits. They've been getting better pitching performances. They've been cleaner in the field. And they're doing this with a bunch of injuries, with guys going up and down. It seems like when one guy comes back, another guy gets injured. So they're definitely definitely playing some better baseball. And that... Series win in St. Louis drew you pretty close to the Cardinals. It's a long way to go, but had you gotten swept in St. Louis, you're looking at a six-game deficit, and you're probably not feeling too great if that's the case. But now things are different. Now you're looking at the situation saying, you know, they're still in this. Even if you don't fully believe, and I don't think I fully believe in this team, I don't think you could go 162 games relying on this rotation or these number of injuries or having to tax the bullpen like this, but it it gives you a chance to do something. You know, the the Brewers are going to be right there too. The Reds are not going to go away, I don't think. I'm not saying they're going to pass the Cubs or win the division, but I, I don't I just I don't think the Reds are going to just finish well below. You know, I think they have enough offensive talent to be in there. So it'll be interesting. It really will. It's great seeing Chris Bryant just continue to hit. The guy is locked in. And I love watching Nico Horner. Both in the field and at the plate. Dude hits the ball hard. And he can flash the leather. Really fun to watch. Jock Peterson is warmed up. He's been fun to watch. Finally hit another home run on the first pitch the other day. Baez, as irritating as the strikeouts are, he's hitting home runs and and driving in runs. I know the strikeouts are frustrating. I get frustrated with them. I asked myself, do we really want to keep this around? But, you know, he's helping produce runs. I'll give him that. Ian Happ's been playing better since coming back. 
Anthony Rizzo is doing basically Anthony Rizzo things. I would like to see him kind of up his power game a little bit, though. Feels like it's been a while since he's upped his power game. But you may think of Anthony Rizzo and say, oh, he's not doing much this year. I don't think his his stats are good. But if you look at what he's doing right now this season, as of Monday night on the off day, 258, 369, 439, 808 OPS. I mean, that's productive. That's kind of where he's been at in his career. Not quite, but, you know, he's a career 270, 372, 484. So the average is a little lower. The OBP is right around there. And the slugging is not that far off. So, he's really, even though it may not seem like it, Anthony Rizzo is still playing pretty good. Do I think his best days might be behind him? Yeah. Do I think his future looks kind of more like a high OBP, meh, average, but good overall production? Yeah, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Anthony Rizzo is kind of a 240... 260 range type hitter primarily going forward but if his OBP is around 370 and is slugging above 410 and is you know still grinding away at bats I think we'll take that I'll take it certainly but the Cubs have an opportunity against the Pittsburgh Pirates to keep it going and that worries me The Pirates have been a thorn in the Cubs' side all year. And I know we're not even to June yet, but the Cubs have already played the Pirates three different times. And I should say three different series. And, yeah, the Cubs lead the season series, but they were all just clawed at each other. It wasn't... You look at this Pirates team on paper, and you're thinking you should win 10 to nothing every game. But... These are really low-scoring, close games between these two. I really think the Cubs just need to kick their ass. But PNC Park hasn't been particularly friendly the past few years to the Cubs. The Pirates have really been a pain in their ass. It almost wouldn't surprise me to see them lose 2-3 or three in Pittsburgh. After taking 2-3 or three from the Cardinals, 3-4... or four, against the Washington Nationals. You took care of business against the Detroit Tigers. You go back to when they swept the Dodgers. They swept the Mets. Seeing them lose 2-3 or to the Pirates would almost not surprise me. But you need to take advantage of this. After this, you go home and play the Reds. Not saying the Reds are world beaters, but, you know, they, they still have offensive weapons, and we have reached offensive Wrigley Field days. It's a hell lot warmer now, and that ball's going to be flying out of the park. And then you have the San Diego Padres come to town, who are hotter than the sun. Fernando Tatis Jr. is one special player. He is, in my opinion, the new face of the sport. Mike Trout is still the best player in the sport, but between the swagger, the personality, and just how young he is and how good he's doing, 
he is like the entertaining face of baseball, Fernando Tatis Jr. Absolute monster. That's going to be a tough series. Yet, yeah, just speaking of Fernando Tatis, only 22 years old, he's got 13 home runs in 30 games. He's hitting 309, 384, 727 with an OPS of 1.111. So OPS over 1,000, slugging over 600, OBP over 380, multi-digit home runs in 30 games. Kid's special. He is really stinking good. And I love watching him play. He is incredible. And that's going to be tough. And you're going to have to face your old friend, you Darvish. Revenge game. That's going to be tough to watch. Knowing that you had him. And you traded him away for lottery tickets. But we'll see how the Cubs respond to this. And hopefully no more big injuries come up. Because the Cubs simply can't afford it. And I'd like to think that those two losses against the Cleveland Indians a few weeks ago... Those are both wins for the Cubs, had that team been fully healthy. Because the guys on the top of the order got on base, but the guys at the bottom of the order, you had Ildemaro Vargas and Eric... I mean, you had borderline quadruple-A players who wouldn't be on the roster had everyone been healthy. You put Nico Horner in there, they probably win those two. That's my opinion, at least. No disrespect to those other guys, but, you know, when you have bench guys who are being called up from triple-A... Makes things a little bit more difficult. But you gotta like what the young starting pitching and the young, I should say relief pitching. Abbott Alzali is really the only Cubs prospect. But you're seeing a lot of prospects come up through the bullpen. And you really gotta like what you're seeing there. So hopefully that continues. So, um, you know, props to the Cubs for keeping this interesting. Because there was a point early in the season where it looked like we were going to be well back. By this point. But as of right now, they're still in it. They're hanging around. They're playing some semi entertaining baseball. They're not a complete flop. Let's just see if they can keep it up. So we spent that pretty much that whole time talking baseball. Kind of makes sense when it's the only sport going on right now. All the others are done. Bulls basketball is done. Blackhawks hockey is done. But hey, the Bears. The Bears are getting ready with their new quarterback. Justin Fields in the rookie camp. A lot of hype around that. A lot of good things being said about Justin Fields. And I know we could say the same thing about other quarterbacks in camp, but... You look at the the talent this guy has. There's a lot to be excited about. And then, of course, the ongoing drama with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And we're closing in on June 1st. So will something happen soon? And we'll see what other roster moves might happen. Will Jimmy Graham get cut? We'll see. 
I don't have much else to say about the Bears. But all I can say is, this offseason, it's worth following everything that's going on with them. Because they actually have an exciting future quarterback to follow. In terms of the Bulls, I'll talk a little Bulls, why not? Their season's done. They missed the play-in tournament. Wait till next year. The offseason begins. And I think this offseason is going to see some significant moves by the Bulls. Even just based on what Arturis Karnishev has said, that they want to attract more free agents. They are not going to just, you know, ride along. Slowly, like the Bulls have had the past few years. When AK made the trade for Vukovic, that was them saying, we're trying to build a winning squad now. We're going to do what it takes. So they're going to try out and sign some guys. And they may par ways with some guys, a.k.a. Laurie Markkinen. Is he going to go to the Mavericks? Could he go to the Spurs for a Popovich-type reclamation project? I think, to me, the two moves that a lot of people are going to be kind of looking out for is A, parting with Laurie Markkinen, and B, trying to go out and get Lonzo Ball. Because there's a lot of reasons to think Lonzo Ball can fit here, and there's a lot of reasons to believe that Laurie Markkinen's time here is done, and I just I think it is. I think they got to move on. I really liked Laurie when he first came here as a kid. I think there was talent there. He couldn't stay healthy, and I just not finding it. And I think there's still room for him to find it. I just don't think it's going to be here. I think he needs a change of scenery, and the Bulls need a change of scenery from him. The two moving on from each other would be, I think, for the best. And you don't want to pay him a lot of money either. When you have so many questions about a guy like this, you don't want to pay him a lot of money. You want to pay that money to guys you know are going to help you. And I would love to see the Bulls go out and get Lonzo Ball. As the offseason rolls on, I think we'll be talking more about possibilities for the Bulls via free agency. Do you make another trade if you're the Bulls? Do you try something? I think that's, I, I, I don't want to say impossible, but I don't see any big trades. I think I see, unless you do sign and trade with Laurie Markkinen, you know, that could be one thing. And I don't think it would be very surprising to a lot of people. But, you know, other than something like that, do I see a lot of big trades going down with the Bulls? No, maybe some smaller deals, maybe, but, you know... I think that Arturis Karnishevis wants to look at the free agent wire and be like, okay, who can we bring in here? Who can we attract? And we know that Lonzo Ball is a restricted free agent, so you know it's not as easy just going and signing him. But at the end of the day, if you could get Lonzo Ball just for money, that would be ideal. Because if you remember, the day they traded for Vukovic at the trade deadline, There were the rumors that they were also in on Lonzo Ball trying to trade him. Sounded like the price was high, so they said, okay, we're not going to do that. So, 
if you can keep assets, whether it's draft picks or whatever, but just use money to get Lonzo Ball in the offseason, I think that'd be much more ideal. It stinks that the Bulls couldn't make the playoffs and get some winning experience this year, but you're just going to have to go forward with what you have. I thought the worst part about the end of the season was Zach Levine missing all that time because I felt like they were finally starting to build that chemistry. Chemistry was not going to be built with the snap of a finger. Everybody knows that when you brought in Vukovic and some of those other veterans. But it looked like it was trending in the right direction, then Levine missed all that time. What I think could have been really ideal is, since they chose the path of, we're trying to build right now, we're trying to actually get this thing going, if that's the case, then you would want them to mesh and want them to get some playoff experience. Just unfortunately, that didn't happen. So, we just got to move forward in the offseason and you know, continue to build. I don't really have much else to say about the Bulls other than I think we're finally, finally going to see a team next year where we've really rid of the Garpack sludge because that was a lot about this year was just kind of cleaning it out. But we'll see. Let's be hopeful. Don't have much to say about the Blackhawks. And I don't have much else to say about Chicago sports. But, you know, there are maybe a few things I want to talk out just on the sports landscape in general. Um, You know, there's been a lot going on. And since more people are going back to stadiums, I think bigger and better things are happening. Uh, We're seeing bigger capacity crowds. Uh, Seeing people at NHL playoff games again is great. Uh, Being able to see a thrilling game uh, with the Knicks the other night, even though they lost, but seeing Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson and good old Tibbs back in the playoffs, that was pretty cool. And a rockin' Madison Square Garden. My whole point to this is sports are slowly and slowly and slowly, like the rest of the world, starting to feel a bit more normal again. You're seeing the crowds in the stands. You're seeing the crowds get bigger. I mean, here in Chicago, both uh, Guaranteed Rate and Wrigley Field are going to up their capacity to 60%. So, again, trending more and more into that direction. You know, it's just crazy. Last year, we watched baseball games played in completely empty stadiums. We saw NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs being played at empty stadiums in bubbles. And we saw empty NFL stadiums, like the Bears, like Soldier Field. That was completely empty throughout. Not all of them were empty, but you know, here in Chicago, every team in this city pretty much played a full season. If you want to call last year's 60-game season a full season, so I'll say quote-unquote full season um, in front of no fans. Because the Bulls and the Blackhawks didn't have any fans until like the last week. The Cubs and the White Sox didn't have fans during their 60-game season last year. And the Bull- and the Bears went a full standard season without fans at Soldier Field. But now things are cl- slowly getting back to normal. We had the PGA Tournament. We saw Phil Mickelson 
at age 50 win the championship, the oldest ever to do it. Hopefully the NHL and NBA playoffs continue to bring more excitement here in early summer like it normally has. Last year at this time, we had no sports. Now we have sports at this time again. And while some things are still different, it's much more normal than it was last year. And it feels very good. I also hope that as we go along, that not only will we be able to safely be in full capacity ballparks again, we'll be able to see the fans at Soldier Field in the preseason. And we'll see the hype around Justin Fields. If Justin Fields plays, I want to see the people standing and clapping. And then hopefully the home opener against the Bengals will get to see a full house at Soldier Field. We probably won't see full houses at preseason regardless because it's preseason, but you know, hopefully for the home opener we'll see a full Soldier Field. Because that would be pretty awesome. 60% for Cubs and White Sox hopefully will turn full safely very shortly. I know they want to kind of get everything back to normal by midsummer or sometime around then. May seem a bit ambitious, but if it's safe and they can do it and people are okay, then, you know, we'll feel more normal than we have ever. And again, all within reason and, you know, keeping people's health at best interest. You know, we, we want to make sure I really enforce that opinion. But I think that is just about going to do it on this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody for listening. I also want to remind everybody that you could check out Swirsky Sports at SwirskySports.com. Check them out on Twitter at Swirsky Sports. You could check out me and my work. Um, you could look at my YouTube channel, Alex Pat. You could look at my little sports blog, Alex Pat Sports Chat. You could also look at my writing at Cubby's Crib, fan-sided Cubby's Crib at Cubby'sCrib.com. Also, be sure to stay tuned for the next episode as Sean and I will be back together again. So until next time, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Her, you can have her, she's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van, and she looks like number New Yorkers. Smoking crack is not legal on the plains. Bears 31, the negative seven. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go bearing down.